This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. I am super psyched, you guys, because my guest today is the creator of the show everyone is talking about, The White Lotus. I'm obsessed. In its second season, the series follows a group of wealthy vacationers and the people who work at a stunning seaside resort in Sicily. Welcome to The White Lotus. I am Valentina, the resort manager. How was your boat ride? It was bellissimo. I mean, I'm impressed that you're even here. Why are you impressed? It's a long trip from Los Angeles, and you're quite old, no? Anyway, Isabella here will take you up to the uh, hotel and bring you to your beautiful room. Can I offer you a glass of Prosecco? Oh, thank you, dear. You're a sight for sore eyes. Before the luxe world of the White Lotus, Mike White spent much of his time on the periphery, creating characters who were too. Loners, weirdos, and wanderers. In movies like Chuck and Buck, The Year of the Dog with Molly Shannon, The Good Girl with Jennifer Aniston, and School of Rock with Jack Black. Popular movies in their own right, but nothing like the meme-producing, headline-driving, conspiracy-filled chatter surrounding the White Lotus. It seems like it's a new, slightly uncomfortable position for Mike to be in. I see myself as an underdog and I and I'm always like that like I'm always gonna see myself as like somebody who has to prove something. So like even in success I still feel like I don't know. Yeah, I'm not an I don't feel like an imposter, but I feel like I'm I don't know, like I you know, I slipped in through yeah, the side door or something. Today we dive into all of it. The making of the show, the anatomy of those crazy characters, Mike's childhood and how he really feels about his newfound fame. So let me just first start by asking, what does it feel like to be Mike White these days? <laughs> well, <laughs> what a question. I, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> we honestly just finished the final episode. We had a, a very crazy shooting schedule that because of COVID and because of, weather and Italy and a lot of different reasons we went over our shoot. And so I thought HBO would give us a little break and let us air later than what we were expecting. And instead they were like, we need it when we need it. And so it cut into our post. So I was editing and finishing the show up until like 10 days ago. So I've just been like, I'm, I'm living in Hawaii right now uh, for tax reasons. There's a good incentive for them to do the post here, which is great. But it, I, so I've been kind of in a bubble. I've just been um, finishing the show, uh, living on an island. And so, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it's like, to, but it, but it doesn't, I'm not getting, it's not like I'm, 
It's not like I'm walking around LA and like getting high fives from people or anything like that. So it's it's it. But I'm but I'm excited that it's sense that that the people are watching the show and liking it and and I I'm definitely getting that. But it's but it's just pretty. Uh, I'm still kind of living on an island and living in a bubble. Well, having said that, though, Mike, let's get real. I mean, you are sort of the envy of everyone in Hollywood, and this is something that you've talked about kind of willingly in an article you did in in Vulture. You talked about Hollywood, who's up, who's down, kind of how people are all envious of one another and that you're uber competitive. So have you been having said all that, Mike, have you been able to take a moment and kind of say, I'm the bomb? (laughs) Oh, my God, no. No, that's so not me. But I, but yes, I, 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 I am. I'm. You know, it's honestly, Katie. I feel like I'm. You know, I'm 52 years old, and I've been doing this since I was 22 years old, and so, and I've had, you know, a lot of things made, and and a lot of things that I thought were successful, but not at this, yeah, with this kind of reaction, and so I just sort of feel like to use the like. Since I'm in Hawaii, like an analogy that fits here, which is like, I feel like I'm a surfer who's been out in the ocean for a long time. And like, I caught a wave. I don't know why this wave, but like, you know, obviously I'm old enough and have had a long enough career to see it as, yeah, a blessing. And but also something that you can't. You know, I, I I would never try to chase this reaction because I just it's just it's just you just never know what's gonna yeah, what people are gonna respond to. So I'm I'm excited. I'll take your word for it that that's <laughs> that's what I hope you that it's it's that yeah, I don't know. I'm obviously I'm happy. it's like I mean I I, I was at the age where I was just like can I keep doing it? You know, like, it was like, maybe the old gray Mary, what she used to be. And I've got to like, so like, it's nice to have a little, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely fun. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, but I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Well, let's talk about the genesis of white Lotus. Um, I was at a party and I heard from a couple of Hollywood types that HBO had access to a hotel that was empty in Maui during COVID and came to you and said, hey, Mike White, can you write a, a show that takes place in a hotel? Is that how it started? It, it kind of, it definitely was like they they need, they need had a lot of projects that had fallen apart because of COVID. And so they just, they knew I was kind of fast and that like I was good with dialogue and that like maybe a show that was very, that I could write a show in a bubble that was like, that would maybe be immune from some of the COVID uh, issues that they had uh, come upon. And so, so they asked me to do it, like, can you come up with a bubble show? But it, they didn't have a, I was like, I, it was my idea to do it in a hotel. And I, I was like, and I'm, you know, I have a place in Kauai and I'm like, and I knew that there were all these hotels that were just, yeah, defunct. They were just had shut down because of COVID. And I was like, we could grab one of those hotels a bed in Hawaii. But they didn't even really want us to go to Hawaii because that was already too um, treacherous, potential issues with COVID. They wanted us like they probably would have been happy if we'd found like a hotel in like Lancaster or like, you know, across the street from Casey Boyce's house or something. Right. So like so, yeah, I just um, uh, so, yeah, I had to push for Hawaii. But, yeah, it was kind of a mix, a mix of that. And tell me a little bit about how you were inspired to write really both seasons. But let's start with the first. I mean. When you sit down to write this, Mike, 
what were you trying to accomplish? I know that's kind of a big, broad question, but I'm just curious. You've got a, a blank screen, a blank computer screen, and you decide, I want to show class differences. I wanted to show really interesting characters. I think one of the things I, one of many things I love about the show is it feels very current. You know, sometimes things get made and they come out a couple of years later or even a year later and they don't feel au courant or of the moment. And I no. think White Lotus felt so tuned in to current sensibilities so just talk to me a little bit about your thought process when you put finger to keyboard. Are you, you're talking about like the like the first season? Yeah, sure. And then yeah, we'll yeah. talk about the second. Yeah, the first season, it was I, 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 you know, I've spent a lot of time in Hawaii. So, you know, some of and a lot the, 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 in Hawaii, there's definitely like two classes. There's the, you know, the tourists and the moneyed people who come and like, you know, have their vacations here and then there's the service class of people who you know can be at any you know some of them are do very well financially but they're all servicing these tourists and so you you know if you're here long enough you get like this you know the you i obviously know the tourist side of it because i've been there and i you know it's like and a lot of my friends who visit you know so i get that part of it but then also you know the service side of it and I just felt like, you know, there's something about doing, you know, because obviously hotel or like Fantasy Island, you think of Love Boat, like there, there's like a, there's like a history of these kind of shows in this kind of, you know, but genre. like trying to <laughs> genre exactly, but to do something that is a little bit um, more well observed and that kind of gets at, you know, I just thought it was like an interesting about how money who has the money impacts relationships, both obviously from the server and the, you know, customer, but also, you know, the husband and the wife and the father and the child. And, and, and so it just felt like maybe as a theme that seemed rich. And so that was kind of the initial impulse. Cause I was like, we're going to be in a hotel, you know, nobody can leave. It's kind of has to be a crucible everyone, you know? And so, yeah, it kind of built out from there. And then it was just like years of <laughs> maybe years of too much being online and like Twitter speak. And like, it was just like, I was like, like I would just started freestyling as far as just like trying to get at some of the, yeah, I don't know, the kind of contemporary language and stuff like that. It seems to me you're almost like a, an anthropologist kind of discovering and exposing human behavior and I, when I watch, I wonder how much of this did Mike learn from being on reality shows, how people act, because obviously you were in Survivor, on Survivor. I understand you're a good friend of Jeff Probst. You love reality television. You were on The Amazing Race with your dad. So did some of those experiences help inform your writing for White Lotus, am I getting too weird on these questions? No, not at all. I, I mean, I, I actually, what I loved when I, when I, you know, because I was obviously a writer before the big reality boom, which I think started like in two thousand ish, um, and then, uh, but like, you know, you, a show like Survivor came along, and you were like, wow, it was showing people. <laughs> You know, one minute they would be very irritating or very petty, and then the next minute they would be very um, vulnerable, and your heart goes out to them. And then they could be courageous, and I don't know. It was just like you would see these these. I mean, because they were people. It was like fully dimensional humans, and even though maybe the format could be formulaic, 
there was something I, I just as a writer, I was like, this is this is, you know, this this makes you want to raise your game as far as like when you are creating characters that people are watching, because it felt like they were always surprising. And you were, you know, you just you there wasn't some internal integrity, obviously, but there was also all of these colors. And so it I've always wanted to try to write characters <laughs> that could match, you know, some of the great characters, you know, personalities that you see in reality TV. So yeah, I, I do think that's a that's a part of it. And I, I just think when I was very young, starting early, very early, I was, I was always, um, you know, I had um, Sam Shepard's mother was my second grade teacher and she loved her son and I loved her. And so it was the first time that I realized, oh, people were playwrights. So I think very early on, I was writing little plays. And so like, I've always listened. I've always been like interested in how people talk because I've always thought about things in terms of dialogue and then also how what they say about themselves doesn't always necessarily match what they think and doesn't always match what they are gonna do. And so that's always been interesting to me. And so. I've always been kind of an observer of of that, I guess. I think your childhood, though, in addition to being taught by Sam Shepard's mother in second grade, which is a cool little fact, a trivia fact, um, you grew up in an evangelical household in Pasadena, and yet you were always skeptical about religion. What was your childhood like, Mike? Well, my parents were very loving, and I loved, I, I had a very... Uh, a nurturing, positive um, nuclear family. My dad was a minister and we were part of a bigger kind of more yeah, evangelical religious community. And it was there, that community where it was definitely felt, I always felt a little alien. I never really drunk the Kool-Aid as they say. And I, I always, yeah, it was there where you, I think that I, you know, some of the, you know, part of drama is is yeah, getting past the you know the the facade and trying to see what people really do and what people really are like, beyond what they say they do. And I, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in a lot of those smaller evangelical communities about you know certainly around sex and around how people you know think about you know what the motivations for behavior are and stuff. And so I I, I I've so it always, I always felt like I was like, I always wanted to know, I was like, what's the, what's the real, you know, like I've always been like, yeah, interested in like what really, how, what people do and how that, that's sometimes not really in line with how they present themselves. I think that shows up in a lot of your work, Mike. I was re-watching Brad's status oh, yeah. and I think that was very effective in terms of this inner turmoil, Brad, AKA, uh, Ben Stiller is experiencing comparing him, his station in life to all of his college friends who were doing much better. And I think that external internal conflict is something it seems to me that you you go back to. And I read that when you were 11, your dad came out to your family he was a minister, as you mentioned, but also a ghostwriter for people like Jerry Falwell and, and Tammy Baker. And you once said finding out about your dad's sexuality is, quote, the key to everything I write. How so? Yeah. Well, just in the sense of what I was just talking about, which is, you know, uh, it's a big rug to be pulled <laughs> from under you uh, where, you know, you think your family is this 
thing and your dad is this thing and he's a minister and then you realize there's this other whole other side which isn't necessarily a dark side it's just a truth and the truth is in contradiction to what he's supposed to be in the world and and so i think you know exploring that and 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 i think that that yeah that just just to me it just you know obviously it it hit home in a literal way just that you know we are more complicated than we present ourselves and that we put our a certain face to our community and that, that that maybe in drama and showing some of that obviously there's a titillation part of it but then there's like a maybe some kind of solace to know that like everybody is grappling with this like that the person that we want to be and the person that the world wants us to be we're not always that and that's okay and that's human and and that kind of thing you went to wesleyan i know and you said you finally found your people there. So how, how did Wesleyan affect you, not only as a person, but as a writer? Well, I, I was in a kind of more homogenous community uh, growing up uh, in high school, uh, you know, and grade school. And so going to Wesleyan, it, you know, it was a very open-minded liberal uh, community in general, and also just these kids were so sophisticated. <laughs> it was like, I was just like, I just felt like I was like, like behind the curve. Like, you know, I was kind of a self-taught. I mean, I was just, I mean, I went to a good school, but it was uh, like, as far as culture and stuff, I was just, I was, you know, I like had my own like subscription to the New Yorker for, I don't know, I was, I was just trying to find my way through the culture. And so like, I would, I went to Wesley and all these, you know, there were a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of New York Jewish kids who are like very like fully baked and fully like, you know, you know, like new fancy people. And I, I was just like, I kind of was just, I felt like a rube, but I, I, but I was so enamored by the, yeah, the whole vibe there. And, and the still to my, this day, a lot of those kids I met there are, are my, my friend group. And when you when you graduated from Wesleyan, were you really interested in playwriting or just writing in general? Well, I wanted to be a playwright. I wanted to be Sam Shepard. I went from California to yeah to Wesleyan, and I was like, I didn't have socks. I didn't realize how cold it was back east. I was like, this is too cold for me. Like I, so I was like, I was like, I was. I, my plan was to go to New York and be a starving playwright, but I was like. I don't know if I could handle this weather. I was like, so I, I like kind of, I fell into the wrong crowd and came back to LA and I was, you know, started writing for, for movies and TV. After the break, let's go to Sicily, shall we? The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. 
So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. When you look back at your quote-unquote body of work, Mike White, do you notice any kind of thread that connects a lot of these stories when you think about it? Um, I don't know. Me? I have a thread? I don't know. I, I, there, I mean... It's an idiosyncratic uh, body of work, and I and I I'm proud. I like I. One thing that I always was like, I'm not going to take myself so seriously that I miss out on anything. Like, and that's how that's why I did Survivor. It's why I did Amazing Race. It's why I've taken jobs that I don't. know. It's like you know, like I always thought that I. <laughs> I mean. If now, now I do sound like a whatever. I just, you know, it's like I always thought I was talented. I always felt like I had something to offer. I always felt like I was, you know, like I, like you said, I was, you know, I said I'm competitive. Like I would see peers who, like, you know, caught the wave and got a lot of like attention and success. And I was like, I could do that. I'm better. I'm, I'm as good or better than those people. And in the, you know, of course, that's the, that's the, that's the gumption that you need to get through. Hollywood but like and so um so but at the same time I was just like I'm not gonna be I've I met people early on who had careers that I I admired and a lot of them seemed miserable or they seemed like they were really um in a um you know protective of their you know like they they I don't know they that in order to be serious taken seriously they had to kind of have a serious vibe <laughs> and it's like we're in the we're in the we're in the you know I, I i think our work is meaningful but like we are in the in the sort of we're in the kids section in a sense you know what i mean we're not we're not you know you're we're not, not curing we, cancer yeah we're not curing cancer we're not in the policy we're not policy wonks we're not you know it's like we are you know we're in the we're in the entertainment section you know what i mean so it's like, and so I just was like, I, I just don't, I want to, I want to be successful and I want people to think I'm talented, but I also, I want to, I, I want to live a life that I look back on and the life itself was cool. And the, and the things I did were, were cool and it's not just my work. So, so like, I look at those, all those different things and it's like, it's, it's an eclectic, it's like, it's kind of a hot mess, like <laughs> bunch of uh, credits, but I, I, each one of them, I, I got uh, different things out of and, and, and yeah, had served different purposes for me. But right now you are in a very different position, Mike, because I'm sure everyone in Hollywood is saying that Mike White, he can write his own ticket now. He can kind of do whatever he wants, which I think makes you a little uncomfortable. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like this is like, I, I, it's like I, I'm waking up in Hawaii and it's like, Katie Kirk is here to tell you everything has changed. Everything has changed. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, like, I feel like, like you're a therapist, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And I, and I, you know, I actually feel like I, if that's true, I feel like I, I feel like I'm like somebody who's, been ready to be at bat uh for a long time and i've done you know like you know and i've i've done things i'm proud of but like i've it's always been swimming 
upstream to get the financing, to get the actor, to get the thing to the, you know, like it's, it's, it, and that's part of the fun, I guess, but it's also part, it's, there's wear and tear. So it's like, if it's an easier road to do the things I want to do, I'm ready to do more and <laughs> I have more to say. And I, you know, like, and it's, and, and this was hard. Uh, uh, it took a lot out of me, especially this last season, but this is what I always wanted to do. And, 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 and so I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to do it. Are you having fun, Mike? I am having fun. I'm having fun talking to you. I'm here in Hawaii. I'm, you know, I've gotten through the, the season and everyone's, you know, chatting about it. So that's fun. But I, I also, I need to reboot a little bit. I, I, I don't have a lot of gas in the tank. So I, I, I need to figure out how to, I don't know, uh, whatever, unplug and refresh or something. Let's talk about this current season of White Lotus because I'm worried, Mike. I'm worried about the characters on White Lotus. I'm really worried. I'm I'm really worried. I'm worried about Portia. I'm really worried about Tanya. I'm oh, worried no. about is it Albie? I yeah. I mean, I'm worried about everyone. What are you doing to us, Mike? Well, the fun thing about, yeah, what I like about this format is that like, I like, I kind of like a slow simmer, you know, so it's, it's fun where you, you know, I think the pleasure of this one and certainly this season and last season too, I think is like, you know, you hope you create very credible characters and you create a situation that like, you're like, it passes the bullshit detector to some degree. And, and that, and then and then just start to like cook up the gas, you know, like turn up the heat. Just so it's like, you know, it's like almost like when you're on the on yeah, roller coaster and you're like chick, 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 and you're like going up and you're like, this is gonna go really far down. Like we are really going chick. So so yeah, and I think the finale hopefully will satisfy uh the catharsis. And I mean yeah, there's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of gnashing of teeth and it's it, yes but it, but yeah you should be worried <laughs> <laughs> i keep thinking about that story of the woman that fell that they threw off the mountain Uh oh. i also keep worrying about the 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 wife of the the cheesy finance guy saying oh you're gonna die here they're gonna have to drag you out of this place i keep thinking uh-oh what does that mean <laughs> Am I right um, to pick up on some of these things? I mean, well, some of them are intentional to build the for the finale, and some are a little bit misdirects so that people think, yeah, you want to you want people to like feel like they're you know Miss Marple and they've got the clues, but you you need extra clues so that you know it's not so obvious what happens. But I, I think people, I think even if you guess, you're going to be surprised <laughs> with just how it all falls apart. Um, I love the way you use art interchangeably. First of all, obviously, you're obsessed with kind of those water shots, which I really like, too. But <laughs> I love the I love the painting, the artifacts, the architecture, the oh, the shots of the porcelain head of uh, that same porcelain head guy <laughs> that you keep going back to again and again. Tell me your thought process about using that as a way to propel the story forward or to foreshadow things or to echo what might be going on at the time. 
Yeah. Can you tell I've been well, watching some, very intently? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I well, the Testa de Moros, when I got there, I was like, because they're everywhere in Sicily, those heads and and the, the story behind it, it has to. And the reason for the whole season was because of these heads. I was like, because I would go around and like, these heads are everywhere. And it was about adultery and violence and sexual jealousy. And I was like, that just, I had a different idea for the second season. I was like, no, we, we got to do an operatic, like Italian sexual jealousy storyline. I mean, that's, it's like, that's, that's what people want to see anyway. But also this is the part of my job that people should be jealous of, which is I go to Sicily. I'm telling them I'm doing White Lotus. All of the rich, like Sicilians who have these palazzos are willing to let me come in and like snoop around their house I got to see all these, and so, so like two of them ended up in the show, but like you walk around and you have no idea that behind this like, you know, edifice is like this incredible palazzo. They're all, they're, a lot of them are hidden. It's like, and then to be able to like get access to those and see them. And I was like, we got to like, you know, so when we would get into these places, I was like, we got to shoot, we got to just like fire hose this down. Like we got to get every piece of art on, on the walls. Like we got to do push-ins on all of the, you know, so for someone who like, you know, likes interior, you know, whatever, like these kind of like classic maximalist, eclectic, like, you know, like rich, you know, palazzos, like I was just like, I was in heaven. So I just felt like I had to make the most of it. And I mean, it must have been an extraordinary place to film. And is that a real hotel? Was that hotel vacant as well? Or yeah. tell me about the location. I want to go to that hotel. Yeah, you should. It's uh, it's the San Domenico Palace, which is like a very historical. Um, it was originally a convent and then it turned into a hotel, but it's been a hotel for quite a long, a long time. And La Ventura was shot there. It's like it's it's a it's amazing because obviously, you know, I got we, we looked at a lot of different hotels and it's just like first the convent part of it just gives it this added kind of, you know, vibe. And then, you know, you see these terraced hills with all these different, you know, villas, you know, that are so classic and European. And and then you have the Greek theater on one side and then the Ionian Sea in front and then the Mount Etna, which is literally, you know, belching smoke half the time. And you're just like, this is if we're going to go to Europe, this is what you go for. You go for these views. So it's definitely I, I highly recommend Taramina and, and Sicily itself. It's it's like you really can't spend enough time there. It's like as each, you know, it was just a, after a few days, it was like, I was like, okay, we've done the sightseeing, but like, it's just like, then there's just this like vibe over time that just really seduces you. Did you find Lucia and Mia in Sicily? No, we, we found them uh, in Rome. Uh, Simona, who plays Lucia, is actually from Naples and um, Mia's from Rome, but we had a great, set of uh casting directors from italy who uh brought us a lot of options and those those two and sabrina impacciatori who plays the manager they're all they were all incredible and so fun to work with yeah they were fun to watch i'll tell you that and i know that you have said that the show satirizes wealthy white privilege and you've said that your intention was to quote unquote poke the bear but through a humanist perspective so Help us out with that, Mike. What did you mean? Um, well, poke the bear. I don't, you know, obviously you're, I'm satirizing privilege, but, it, you know, especially with the first season, I also was poking the bear as far as some of the, I don't know, like I wanted to give voice to both, you know, 
the critiques of of the patriarchy and all of these things that you know we we are discussing you know and have been discussing with fervor the last couple of years but also give voice to the people that are you know it's like i you know i have a hearing you know like like some of the conversations that i'm hearing that people don't want to say in public but like behind closed doors and try to you know like not you know make it so it you're kind of walking the line where okay, well, that sort of is a fair point. And then like, oh yeah, but you're saying that because this is, you know, you're you're defending, you know, you're on your heels. So like trying to make it so it's not so such a simple um, pre-digested conversation and, and, and have those conversations be um, lively and like, you know. Multi-layered. Multi-layered enough that like, people feel like, oh, they're, they're being seen and then, and it's still challenged. And so, and that was, that was what I was trying to do. And, you know, like, and, and the fact that like people on both sides of some of these arguments, like championed the show or also like hated the show made me feel like I did my job. (laughs) Yeah. So you're, you're really showing some of those tricky conversations that people do have behind closed doors. And I think that that's what contributes, Mike, to the realness of the show and the dialogue that, you know, you feel like this is what people really are talking about and that you're not following some kind of prescriptive dialogue to be on the right side of any issue. Yeah, because I don't even I'm, I don't even it's like ultimately it's like I don't think it's the dramatist's job to it's I, I don't think it's it's a message conveying machine if i was trying to make a message then i would be communicating in a different medium or a different kind of uh it's really about giving voice to the different people who exist in our world and try you know and do my best to to make it feel like it's a you know a dimensional conversation after the break why mike spends so much time in the gray areas of human behavior Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I know that a lot of people have taken note that your characters, so many of them are just unlikable or complicated, or 
there are certain things you like and certain things you really don't like. So you feel conflicted. And I feel very conflicted about Tanya. I really disliked her at the end of last season. And now I don't dislike her. I feel sorry for her because she's quite pathetic, but she's also sort of lovable too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, well, Jennifer Coolidge is lovable period. And, and so she brings the lovability for sure. But yeah, I, I do think it's like, I, I, especially the first season, you know, I, I wanted there to be two tracks, which is, you know, her as the underdog who's looking for love and dealing with, the fact that her mom died and, you know, the pain of that. And so on one side, you're rooting for her. And then there's this other story where she's kind of dangling this carrot over this other woman's, uh, you know, eyes future. And, and, and future and and making her feel like there's hope for something. And then she's kind of a flake. And that just seems very true to life too, for me to some of these women that I've met and or, you know, men too, but just like where, you know, they see themselves as a victim in some sense and, and then or a they don't savior see, or a savior. Yeah, or a savior. Yeah. And and they don't see how that they can also be victimizing and that they that they yeah, that they they have agency and that they are yeah, that, that they are somehow blowing it. <laughs> let let me ask you about some of the other characters in kind of a rapid fire way. We talked about Mia and Lucia and we talked about Valentina. Um, let's talk about Portia. And I love this discussion online about Portia's clothes. Have you seen this, Mike? I have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that she dresses like a Gen Z thrift store, yeah, like nothing really goes together. Disaster, like, it, does it yeah. look good or not? I mean, <laughs> what do you think of all that? It's so funny. Well, a lot of the credit goes to, um, I mean, that was her character on the page, but uh, Haley... Lou Richardson, who's the actress, and then Alex Bavard, who is our costume designer, you know, are the true geniuses behind her looks. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit like, (laughs) I'm, uh, women's fashion is not my um, go-to, but I, but I, but I, I did weigh in. I did weigh in. I approved. I supervised, but I, uh, but um, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, to me, Portia is somebody who I see this a lot. And this was something that I, I feel like online, I think is the thing that I, I find interesting is that there's a lot of people who are like rich, you know, like bad, bad, rich people, rich people are terrible. You know, like it's this, like this kind of like, you know, that, that, that I, that I'm allowed to make the show as long as I show how bad rich people are, that the moral of the story is that rich people are better or something. And it's like, and, and, and obviously, you know, there is, (laughs) there's truth to that. Like a lot of rich people are fucking up the world. And so like, I, you know, but, but I also, you know, you, you, and so like, I guess Portia was like a, a, a vehicle to explore how she sees in Tanya, all of these bad character traits and that she, you know, if, and if she had what Tanya had, she would have her life together and she would be, she, you know, like she would be, she would do it better than Tanya, but you see how in her own way, she's, she is kind of lost in the, in a similar way. She's actually kind of a mini me to Tanya and, and in fact, I, and Tanya I, tells Portia, you remind me a lot of myself <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah. But I also think Portia is very Gen Z and that she's sort of a little bit lost and just doesn't know what she wants to do. She doesn't really have any goals. She's trying to figure it out. 
Did that, yeah. I mean, do you know yeah. young people yeah. like that that kind of helped yeah, shape it's... that character? <laughs> yeah, I do think, I mean, again, I don't want to get crucified, but I do think I've noticed in the this younger generation a desire to try on identities and 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 feel like there's something like like i don't know courageous about about identity as a way to express yourself through whatever like through the way you talk about yourself or the clothes you wear or whatever but like ultimately it is very navel gazing and it adds to i think adds to um malaise <laughs> i think it actually it makes your it's like the more you start like yeah like uh talking about yourself and thinking about yourself along these lines it actually just exacerbates the problem that you're trying to solve so like uh i think a little bit of portia comes through in that i mean i i i, I you know like i don't want to think that I'm totally, you know, but like, she's just like, I want this. And I don't know if I, I just want to be fulfilled. And, and it's like, you, you know, it's just, there's just something about that. That is just, I, yeah, it's maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's ageism. Maybe I'm just like, I've become the person who makes you, but like, I just, when I was younger, it was just like, it's it, to me, I still feel like it's like, you need to like move outside of yourself to like find courage and move outside of your own, you know, it's like um, your own navel gazing to, really then fully develop you know it's like if you're just always looking inside and doing selfies and and calling yourself a different thing and it's all about the clothes you're wearing you know it's like that that just feels like that's um that's going to be a dead end road so that's Portia <laughs> and what about the foursome of Harper Ethan Cameron and Daphne I have to say I think Aubrey Plaza is my favorite character in the whole show <laughs> I like her perpetual state of ennui that is now kind of morphed into something else altogether. And I love what yeah. you're doing about jealousy with Ethan and uh, and and uh, Harper. So tell me a little bit about Harper's character. Well, I, I Aubrey is a friend of mine and I wanted to get her in the show. So a little bit of it started with just like, you know, Aubrey is a very complicated, interesting person, and and but she's kind of known for this sort of dead. Like the way she comes in at the beginning is kind of like maybe the way people see her or what thing they think that she's gonna be if she joins the White Lotus world, but then start to show these other kind of more vulnerable sides and that her toughness is a little bit of a front and. And, um, but I liked, you know, like uh, what I was trying to do with that whole storyline is, you know, it has to do with, it's kind of what Brad's status was as far as status, but like with sec like whether we're always comparing ourselves in, in our relationship to other people's relationships and what they have and what they, it seems like they, you know, like what they do better, what they do worse and how, how, um, and I was kind of playing a little bit at the beginning where it's like, you think, okay, here's are like NPR listening, like, you know, liberal, like, you know, like these are the good guys that we're going to relate to. And then this other couple, they're so vacuous. And, you know, it's like, but then kind of playing a little bit with, which is maybe that other couple is like dysfunctional and crazy. It's like, well, they seem to be having more fun. Like, I, you know, like that, that, that maybe, you know, like maybe it's not as, as simple as all of that. And, and I don't want to give away the ending, but yeah, how it all, how it all lands is kind of, a little bit of insight into what I'm trying to s not say, but like, try yeah, uh, 
uh, try to reveal something a little bit more unexpected, I guess. It also seems to be a bit of a commentary on tech and finance bros. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just like think new it was like, money, new money status, yeah, um, yeah. competition, um, yeah. that weird sort of dance you play when you're financially dependent on someone, which it seems like Cameron is sort of uh, needs Ethan because he's made a boatload of money in tech, right? There's something yeah. weird about that dynamic. Well, I definitely, I as a, a, guy, a guy, I've been privy to lots of conversations over the years. I live like next to Brentwood. So there's just like, you know, the Brentwood Country Mart where like lawyers and finance people and whatever, like people in our, my industry or whatever, and how they how they're buddies, but like even in the in every conversation, you just sense this peacocking and like they're trying to figure out like where they stand as far as who's making the more money, you know, who makes like where. Yeah, it's uh, uh, and so it, that's always very funny to me because I, 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 whatever it, it's. Yeah. So, yeah, I was kind of playing with like, yeah, they're friends, but like, are they friends? Like, what are they like? Like the, the the competition is so heavy that it's just like, can they ever really be friends? You know? Yeah, I find that whole sort of foursome fascinating, and I love F. Murray Abraham. Which I mean, by the way, what a what a feather in your cap to get him to be in yeah. White Lotus, and then Amazing. you've got from The Sopranos, you've got Michael Imperio Imperioli. Can help me with that, Michael Imperioli. Yeah. And uh, who plays his son. And then you have Adam DeMarco, who plays Albie. Uh, so you have these three generations of Italian-Americans. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, yes. Murray and Michael are, I'm a huge, I was a huge fans of Pryor. And then working with them even more so, uh, Murray is like, you know, he's, I think he's 82 years old and he's so still like enamored with the process and acting and, and storytelling. And it, it's inspiring. And Michael is one of the most, he's in the pantheon of like the easiest, most like generous actors I've ever worked with. So like those two are incredible. And then of course, Adam DeMarc is one of the sweetest kids. So like they were a great group, but like contextually, as far as the ideas of that's, I just feel like, it, you know, I wanted, you know, it's kind of getting into male sexuality and desire and male role, you know, the role, like, you know, men's roles when it comes to romance and how they deal with the women and and just voicing the different um, generational attitudes in a kind of classic way. Uh, and, and how they're all kind of, even though they're all sort of negotiating with the new ways of uh, talking about uh, relationships and sex and um, uh, and interactions with women, that they're all kind of trapped in a certain sense, too. Derek, who works on this podcast, who's one of the producers, talked about how this season portrays a wide variety of sexual relationships and entanglements. And you were just talking about sex just as the opening title sequence portrays uh, increasing debauchery in the art as the rollicking theme song plays, the show itself feels like it's revealing more and more about the ways that humans experience their sexuality or suppress it or give into it or both even. These are Derek's observations. And I'm curious, 
what you think of that and sort of how you were trying to portray different just different kinds of relationships. And for example, you portray sex workers, you know, Lucia and Mia very differently than kind of what we normally see in mm. TV, books or movies. Well, I, you know, with the title sequence, I basically said, you know, it should start with these kind of pretty, you know, like, like you're going into a palazzo and the beautiful walls, and then you start seeing little things in the corners and you realize there's this kind of mischievous or even kind of creeper, pervy, like sexual things that are happening in, in the margins. And then by the end of the credit sequence, it's almost like a Bosch painting of like, just, you know, the, and where, you know, the carnality of it and you know, the desire of it is is like front and center. And I felt like that with the season two, which is like you start off and it's like, you know, the little bit of these repressed people trying to like, you know, figure out like, you know, how to have a good vacation. And that like being in the in in situ of Sicily and, and um, in this kind of little crucible that like, the desire and you start seeing desire in everyone and it's yeah it becomes a very horny show and i just felt like it was like and especially like you know like and as far as like uh yeah it's, i mean and i i, I yeah i just I, you know i i don't i don't think i'll always <laughs> write stories like this it's not certainly my wheelhouse like directing scenes of like intimacy between people and like getting people nude and stuff it's just like i was like you know, like I was like, this is not uh, something I'm like, naturally. La, 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 la. Yeah, I was like, whatever you guys want to do. Like, what's thankfully, you know, I, when you hire actors that are exhibitionists, they're often less inhibited than I am. So, like, they're like, oh, you want me to take my top off? Uh, yeah, sure. If that's good, are you, are you, are you sure that's okay? Yeah. So, like, uh, so yeah. So that was, but I, but I, um, but I do feel like it was like it, it's fun to show. I actually think it's fun to show women horny, horny women, because I feel like that sometimes is something that, like, you know, a lot of times in 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 drama, it's like they're either victimized or virginal or like I don't know. It's every or it's, or or it's like this kind of like you know. Um, like they'll talk it's like sex in the city it's like it is it's very like talky but like you know where you're actually feeling the desire and feeling the um you know it's like and you know to me that just feels true to life in a way i guess i don't know how else to put it but anyway so um so yeah so i just thought it was like let's do sex let's just go all in and and that was kind of the I was like, if we're going to go all in, it's like by the end, you just want to feel like, yeah, the animal in the hu in each of these um, human characters. So this is the big question. Is there going to be a White Lotus 3? Is there going to be a third season? Yes, they fix us up for a third season. Yeah. So, yes. Where, Mike? Where? Well, I want to go to Asia. That's what I think. Like, I mean, it feels like, you know, you start in like America. Then you do Europe. Feels like the next one would be. I don't know. Like I, I don't know why that feels. It's just like I'm trying to think. Like, like yeah. Where does Katie Couric go on vacation? Where you tell me. <laughs> Actually, I. You know what? I ran into you once on vacation. Where I was in. Yeah, I was in Berlin, staying at a classic old hotel in the middle of Berlin. I forget the name of it. And you oh. were staying there at the same time with. I would run into you. I ran. I think we were like there the same days or whatever because. I ran into you. You were very friendly. You seem like you're having a good time. I was with my husband. Very, 
who's and still my smiling. husband. Good, great. And yeah, you guys, I don't know if you were there for work or vacation or whatever, but you were- No, we were there were... for vacation. And you know, my husband, John, is a huge survivor nut. I mean, he has seen every season. He finds oh, really? it fascinating. So he loves you from Survivor. Oh, that's cool. Well, I, I think it was prior to me doing Survivor. It was? You were, I, it might, I think it was, what, didn't, yeah. Well, I got like married in 2014, 20, so it was probably. So I think it was like after that. It was like 2015 so, or 16. Yeah, it was 20, 2016, maybe, 2015. Okay, so yeah, I did Survivor 2017. Oh, Okay. Well, now he but loves you. You, you, were, you seemed you seemed very um, yeah. You seemed like you had happy energy. I, I I I liked I liked you from just the vibe. Oh, that's so nice. Well, do you, is it, I don't want to spoil the finale, but do you think we'll see Tanya in the third season? I love. Well, I love I, I I love writing Tanya, and I love I love working with Jennifer. So definitely could be. You can't tell me if you tell me you, you you'd have to kill me, right, Mike? <laughs> Why? Well, what do you mean? You're, you're wondering if she dies? Oh, uh, well, you never know. Could be. Ah. I'm not telling you. You know, I don't want to ruin it. A huge thank you to my guest, Mike White. I imagine you're all tuning in this Sunday, December 11th, for the finale to find out who makes it out of the White Lotus alive. If not, whenever you're listening to this, happy binging. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at katiecouric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 